All right, all right. Yeah. Welcome to the campuses. We hope you guys, yeah. We, we got a little rowdiness here at the Durham campus. Maybe godliness is what you call it, but welcome to all of our campus locations. We are glad you are here. Everybody take out your phones. Use Facebook. If you use Facebook, check in to this campus location, or you can pull up our app on your phone. And uh, you might not know we have an app. You just go to the app store on your phone, put in my name or the church's name. It'll pop up. You can log in and use the app, which has the teaching notes there as well. And, uh, or open up your Bible, grab your teaching notes, and let's go get this. Before we jump into it today, though, I have a very significant praise report from last Sunday. Uh, number one, this is not the praise report. Number one, last Sunday, we had one-tenth of an inch of snow, and all the Southerners stayed home. <laughs> we literally had a northern church service. It was awesome. It was awesome. And um, so everybody stayed home. So Southerners, glad to have you back. Welcome back. Um, but while you were away freaking out and maybe walking to the store and buying all the eggs and, and, and milk and bread while you were doing all that, uh, we saw, here's the praise report, we saw 55 people at all the campus locations cross from death to life and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. Huge, huge praise report. And, and church, listen to me. I hope we never just, I hope we never grow like ho-hum with that. I hope we never forget that every single person represents a name, every name represents a story, and every story represents someone for whom Jesus Christ came, bled, died, and rose again. And so if you were one of those 55 at any of our campus locations, welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. Secondly, I thought I would go ahead and throw this out. Your pastors and staff have been working really, really hard to get ready for Easter. And not only are we getting ready for Easter, we are throwing out some unbelievable goals, some unbelievable things that we believe God is calling us to as a church and I want to share those with you so that you can be praying already. Can you believe Easter is less than a month away? And so this year, we are going to have a Good Friday worship service at all of our campus locations. Good Friday worship service at 7 p.m. at all campuses. Then we have Saturday, right? Then we go into Easter. All campuses are going to have a sunrise Easter service. Uh, different than the other services on Easter, but we're having a sunrise Easter service, and it is going to be at 645, and then we go into all the Easter services, and I can't list all those for you. Just go to the website or look on your program for the campus that you are attending today, but we wanted to share with you some goals that we were hoping and praying for Easter 2017, and here they are. I want you to pray about this. We are believing by faith that we could see 7,119 adults at all of the campuses for Easter Sunday. We are believing that we'll see 1,439 for a total of 8558. We are hoping and praying that we will see 309 first-time guests. Now, how's that going to happen? Exactly. You are smart people. That we are going to start praying right now about who we might invite. And here's a big one. We're hoping and praying that we will see 204 salvations. 
204 salvations. These are big, God-honoring goals, but we are hoping and praying that we will see God move in that kind of way on Easter Sunday. And here's what you need to know. Those numbers are not about new hope. Those numbers are not about you. They're not about me. Those numbers are about God doing what God wants to do on Easter Sunday morning. Why? Because every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story represents someone for whom Jesus Christ came, bled, died, and rose again. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? You're patty caking. You're patty caking. Can you believe it? Who, Who are you going to invest and invite Easter weekend? That's what I really want to encourage you to do. And it's a month out. Let's pray about it and let's start investing in God's children. Amen? Let's pray about it right now. Right now. Father, we love you today. We thank you that uh, you are a God who loves all people. All people, God. They are your people. We will never look into the eyes of someone that you don't deeply desire to love and know and save and redeem. God, we pray for Easter 20. 17, and we trust that you are going to have your way. We pray that you would bless and move in our lives and in our midst. God, we pray that at the end of Easter, we would look back upon Holy Week, and like the church in the book of Acts, we would be in absolute awe of what you will have done. And we've promised you, God, that if you do it, we're going to praise you every single step of the way, for we pray it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And the people of God at all of our campuses said... Amen. Amen. Okay, take out your teaching notes. Romans 8. We started last week, and I know, like I said, that half of you were not here. And so I want to go ahead and offer a a brief review of what we did last week in Romans chapter 8. Here's the first one. Say it out loud with me. Ready? Go. Pardon comes before the power. Again, pardon comes before the power. So what we talked about last week is that first we are pardoned by Christ and what God has done for us in and through, again, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a tendency to believe that we're going to actually go and get power first and then if we're good enough, many of us fall into the religious game, if we're good enough, then we get Power. No, 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 no. Pardon comes before the power. And this is the verse that we studied. This is the verse. Ready, out loud, all of our campuses, go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. And again, if you missed it, go to the resource center, pick up a message at any of our campuses. What I talked about last week was many of us live in this religious game. We live with shame. We live with regret. We live with guilt. And we never can really lift our heads in freedom to acknowledge and realize the good gift of God that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you struggle, come on, if you struggle with guilt and shame and regret, 
For God's sake, go pick up the message today. And then I said this, then I said this. Justification precedes and empowers sanctification. What we think, again, if we play the religious game, and I, I, I warned us last week, I apologize for some of these big, churchy, theological words, but sometimes they're just needed. I talked about the fact that what we end up believing, if you fall into the religious game, or if you were raised by a parent who tried to convince you over and over and over that you were saved by being Mr. or Miss Goody Two-Shoes, what I said last week was we end up thinking that we have to be sanctified, which is a big word for be, being transformed into the image of Christ. We have to be sanctified. We have to be good enough. And once we are good enough, then we earn our salvation and we are justified. Now, I gave you a definition of justification last week. Who can help me remember what it was? Justification. You got it. Write that down if you weren't here. Justification. I gave you a way to always remember this word. Look at the word. Justification. It's just as if I had never sinned. If you are in Christ, it's just as if you had never sinned. And once you stand, here are these key words. Once you stand in that identity, once you stand in that position of being justified, knowing that there is therefore no condemnation, then you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to embark upon this lifelong journey of sanctification where you are becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. I said this last week. A few more points in review, and then we're going to move right into the next passage. Being right with God must precede doing right for God. Now see, that's just, that's just huge. Many of you have convinced yourself, I slip into this as well if I'm not careful, we've convinced ourselves that by doing right for God, then I can be right with God. And God wants to say to you, as he said to us last week, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you do. But it has everything to do with what, church? What he has done. What he has done. And then I unpack these two laws. This is all Romans 8, 1 through 4. I unpack these two laws. There are two laws that work within us. There's the law of sin and death. And there is the law of the law of sin and death. Law of the spirit. The law of the sin and death brings about what? Sin and death. The law of the spirit brings about life. And we talked about how part of the sanctification process is learning to acknowledge and discern and at least be aware of those two laws waging war inside of you and you learning to yield and submit to the law of the Spirit, dying to self, dying to the carnal nature, dying to sin and death, but living to the law of the Spirit. That's where we were last week. Now let's pick back up in Romans 8. If you're ready for the word of God, let me hear an amen. All right. I love it. Love the engagement. Here we go. Romans 8. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 8. And I want, you to, I want you to do this while I'm reading this. I want you to count the number of times you hear or see the word mind. Mind or minds. Okay? Ready? So, and in fact, I'm going to read it. Sometimes you read scripture with me, but I'm going to read it, and I want you to count out loud, out loud, when we see the word. We see it the first time, say one. Second time, two. You ready? You got it? 
Got your minds engaged? All right, here we go. No, no. <laughs> You're too good, New Hope. Starting all over. Here we go. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds. Okay, y'all doing two different things. I got one group of you reading. I got another group of you counting. All right, we're going to count. Just count. Start all over. It's going to start again. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds, now you're with me, set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. How many times did you see the word mind? You're awesome. Now go back into your Bible right now, if you would, and circle and underline and write in your margin. There is something incredibly, incredibly important. Paul is coming right out of the gate in Romans 8. He declares first our identity, our position in Christ. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation in Christ. And the very first thing he comes out of the gate talking about is the mind. Somebody asked me if it's real. Negative. So I want to talk to you today because Paul wants to talk to us today about the mind. Many of you have heard me say many times over the years that we are not a church, nor do I agree with churches, where you are expected to check your brain at the door. There are unfortunate branches on the Christian tree that teach you that you should not really think about anything. Sit down, shut up, pay up, peace be with you. That is not New Hope Church. New Hope is not a place where we ask you to check your mind at the door. In fact, one of my greatest pet peeves is the fact that in many branches of the Christian tree, Christians don't think. Christians become mentally lazy. And what Paul is saying right out of the gate here is do not do that. Engage the what? The mind. And I got to say this, as our culture becomes more and more hostile to the faith, our culture, especially mainstream media, will continue to exasperate Christians who do not think. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this? Watch any of the mainstream media networks. Anytime our country is faced with a controversial issue and they are getting a panel of people. They normally have panels of people and they're different people who represent different people. And then they almost always have a Christian on the panel. But here's the problem. 
Some of y'all are smiling. Y'all know right where I'm going. And I don't mean this in a judgmental way. It just drives me crazy. They'll get a panel of people and they'll put some Christian up there who is, I don't know, looks like he came from the show Moonshiners. <laughs> Have you seen this show? If you haven't seen Moonshiners, you haven't watched anything. But it's Moonshiners. It's some, some hillbilly, some hick. Nothing against hillbillies. Don't send me your emails. I love hillbillies. I love hicks. I love rednecks. I love all people. All right? So, but my point is they, they put a, Christ, a Christian up there who usually has not thought much about Christianity. They just have a very robust, blind faith and God bless them for it amen again I'm not saying this in a judgmental way at all but what I'm saying is mainstream media will exasperate this so that Christians that would be you and me most of us we come off looking like a bunch of knuckleheads like a bunch of nitwits right and Paul says no 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 I want you to engage your what church so Paul would talk about this. He would actually mention it over in Philippians. This is not Romans 8, but you want to write this verse down. Let's read it out loud together. Now we're going to read it out loud. Ready? Go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this what? Be in you, which was also in what? Write this down. Very important point if you're going to understand this concept of the mind in your faith. The mind of Christ is the word of God. Got it? The mind of Christ is the what? So what Paul is saying throughout all of his teachings, particularly here in Romans 8, he's saying you've got to engage the mind. And the reason you engage the mind is not to puff yourself up on human knowledge. No, 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 no. The reason you engage the mind is so that you can develop the mind of of Christ, which is what? The Word of God. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go back to it, but if you just let your eyes fall back down on your scriptures, and I hope you're bringing the Bible or on your teaching notes, in that passage that we just read, I read out loud, and you counted the number of times Paul mentioned mind. How many was it? He put these two words together. He said, let your mind... Or let, let your mind be set on. He, he, he says these two words over and over. The mind set on. The mind set on the flesh will not please God. The mind set on the spirit. He puts these two words, mind set. Now, I don't know what you see. But what I see when I see those two words put together is the word mindset. Two words, bring them together, study the original Greek. And what Paul is getting at here is our job as Christians is to so engage the mind, the brain, that we have the mindset of the things of God. We have the mindset of the word of God. We have the mindset of a biblical world view. And this is how I said it in my notes, okay? I said Christian maturity... Learning to yield to or live under the law of the Spirit. And I, I put this word intentionally. It's a strong word. Must. What is it? Must involve developing a biblical mindset. Okay? 
out loud with me from the top. I want this to settle deep into your soul. Ready? Go. Christian maturity, learning to yield to, live under the law of the Spirit, must involve developing a biblical mindset. Oh, my. What I would give to convince you of that. What I would give to convince the New Hope Church movement to not be mentally lazy or complacent, but to be a people of God who develop, this is an important phrase, who develop a love of learning. A love of learning. And as the world goes more and more hostile towards God, it is going to be more and more imperative that we are Christians who have our minds engaged in the things of God and not Christians who have our heads stuck in the sand. Amen. Oh, it's dangerous. What, what I want to say to you today is it's dangerous to be a Christian who doesn't engage the mind. Have you ever met any dangerous Christians? Are you sitting by a... Da- don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> it's just dangerous. Um, any motorcycle riders in the house at any of the campuses? Any of you got motorcycles? Like... like um, Driving a motorcycle is one of the most exciting things on, on the planet. I, I can get on a motorcycle. I got a motorcycle. It's an older bike. It's a, it's a Harley-Davidson Road King Classic, uh, 1998. But I can get on a motorcycle, and it does more, it, it does more therapy for me than you'd ever imagine. It just it, the, 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 the thrill and the peace I get out of just getting out on a country road and riding my motorcycle is, is a glorious thing. And we're getting more and more pastors around this church who, who drive motorcycles. Uh, so like Chris Peltz, for example, the Hillsboro campus pastor. Give it up for Chris in Hillsboro. Chris Peltz has a motorcycle. Derek Maul, the Garner campus pastor, he bought a motorcycle just yesterday. Pray for him. I text him. I'm like, man, I'm so excited. But take it, take it slow. Take it careful, man. Because uh, they're dangerous. And we got, we got other people on the team who drive motorcycles. Um, I guess because I have one, um, my twin boys who are seniors now, they want motorcycles. Yeah. And my, my, uh, one of them, Benjamin, most of you know Benjamin. Benjamin, who is, I'm telling you, this is a special kid. And I mean special in a good way. Um, <laughs> this guy's going places. I'm going to show you something in a moment. You're going to see. Uh, he, he, I'm so proud of him. He is such an outstanding young man, along with his brother. I mean, all my kids are special, and I would say that because I'm a biased dad. But Benjamin knows me so well that he knew that he didn't have much of a chance of getting a motorcycle. Like, I am sorry. You can disagree with me if you want, but I'm not going to buy and I don't buy it anyway. We do dollar-dollar in our family for cars and everything. They put a dollar, daddy and mama put a dollar. Dollar-dollar. Parents, you need to think about that. They need to have some skin up in the game. That's a side note. That's a side note. That's parenting 101 right there. So, um, so Benjamin, Benjamin said, that he, he knew it would be dollar-dollar, but he's like, daddy, I want to buy a motorcycle. And um, he didn't actually really even say it to me. He hinted to it, and I think he picked up on my vibes right away. So Benjamin, again, special kid. He went to work. And he prepared a PowerPoint presentation. 
Like, for real. And I asked his permission. I wouldn't do this without his permission. I, I, I asked him, could I share that day? And he was hesitant, but he gave me the green light. It's, it's like 25 slides. I'm not going to show you all of them. I'm only going to show you four of them. It was the most impressive thing you've ever seen in your life. It was unbelievable. Let me, can I, do you want to see this? <laughs> Why I should be allowed to get a motorcycle. By Benjamin Kelly. Homeboy put a title slide on there. Reasons. Dad has a motorcycle. It would be a good father-son bonding. Father-son bonding time to go on rides with him. Boy, he's buttering me up. I, he's, he's going places, man. Plus, who would be a better teacher than someone who's been riding for 40 plus years, Dad? I haven't been riding 40 plus years, but he, 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 he builds the case. I can learn to ride safely while I'm still at home. Northerners, northerners, lean-ins, this is a great word. You need to learn this word. Y'all. Some of you have never said that word. Today needs to be the first day. Northerners, come on, on the count of three, just say it for me. Please indulge your pastor and all the campuses. One, two, three. You're done good. Y'all will be able, Northerners like, what is y'all? What does that mean? It means you all. It's just, it's efficient, man. Y'all will be able to control what bike I get, when I ride it, what training I receive, and which equipment I use. In contrast, oh, homeboy's, homeboy's doing a compare and contrast. In contrast, if I got a bike after I moved out, I would be on my own. You could not give me advice and train me safely. <laughs> I knew y'all would enjoy this, but I didn't think you'd enjoy it this much. All right. Oh, he's not done. There's 26 or something like that slides. I don't know exactly how many, but it's a lot. I'm only going to show you four, I think. It's too dangerous, you might say. He's, he's anticipating my argument. 44% of all victims in fatal motorcycle crashes were not wearing helmets. If I wear a helmet, my chances... <laughs> If I wear a helmet, my chances of dying go down to 50%. <laughs> Thanks, Benjamin. I love to think that you only got a 50% chance of dying, son. 50% of all motorcycle crashes are single vehicle crashes. Of these crashes, 42% of them involved alcohol. I know how to ride a motorcycle. I know how to ride better than most people already. Also, I will never drink and drive. Thanks, bud. That helps your chances too. This decreases my risk of a crash by another 21%. I'm so stinking proud of him. I mean, he's not getting a motorcycle, but I'm proud of this kid. So, oh, oh, he throws the common sense card at me. So, Dad, just by common sense, my chances of getting in a crash are decreased by 71%. Thank you for listening to me. Last slide. I just skipped 15 slides probably. Thank you for listening to me. I hope that you will consider my proposal. 
pray about it. That's awesome. That's my boy. Pray about it. Ask me any questions that you might have. I'm available, Dad. Let's talk. It would be nice if I could get a definite yes or no soon so that I can have a vehicle for senior year. Much love, Benjamin. Benjamin, wherever you are, I know you're out there, son. You are amazing. Y'all give him some love. Just look at him on your way out. Yeah, okay, you can do it now. When you see him at any of the campuses, just say, you, 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 you good. You good. Now, um, let me just kind of finish the story. I, I read all that, and he said, pray about it. I didn't need to pray about it. <laughs> but I said I'd pray about it. And I did pray about it. And the very next day, it was very clear to me that God was still saying emphatically, heck to the no. <laughs> and so I told him that, right? I told him that. And uh, he said, well, Dad, he said, he said I, I, I got one more idea. Take it to your staff. <laughs> like, like, really? He knows the staff, and the staff really know and love Benjamin. He said, take it to your staff. I said, Benjamin, there's too many staff to take it to. He goes, okay, take it to your senior leadership team. I said, all right. So I took it to the senior leadership team. He said, here's the deal. He said, I'm asking you that if they say yes, you let me have a motorcycle. I said, Benjamin, number one, they're going to say no by a landslide. And I said, number two, if they do say yes, I'll still think about it and pray about it a little bit more. So I took it to the senior leadership team. I'm always so proud of my staff. I, I always think they make the best decisions in the world. I was so disappointed in them. <laughs> I took it to the senior leadership team. There's about, I think, I think there's, um, I think there's like 18 of us in the room. And, and I presented the PowerPoint slide and everything. And I was very unbiased. I'm like, guys, I need to hear from you. He, he wants me to hear from you. 18 of them. Nine said Yes, he should get a motorcycle. And nine said no. Split decision. So I took the final vote. No. <laughs> now, I'm glad you've enjoyed that. But come on back to the message at hand. In the same way that it would be incredibly dangerous. Come on, church. Bless me more than my staff did in that particular scenario. Would we not all agree it would be dangerous to buy a 17-year-old boy a motorcycle? Thank you. In the same way, it is incredibly dangerous for Christians to come to faith in Christ and not engage the mind. Many of you, in fact, I would say all of you have seen instances where the cringe factor was so high. You saw a Christian and they had not thought about things and they had not thought about the complexities of the issues that we face today. They hadn't thought about controversial issues and the nuances involved and they have not been able to engage the mind. And Paul says, whatever you do, engage the mind. Be intellectual Christians. Develop a love for learning the Word of God, which is the mind of Christ. This is why in John chapter 1, by the way, John chapter 1, I think it's around verse 14, the Bible says the Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. The word is logos there. It is the word, the Greek word for word. The word became flesh and we develop as we mature and we engage in the sanctification process, we develop the mindset of Christ. And that impacts our witness in the world. Paul says to live according to the Spirit, which gives life, you must have your mind set on the things of God. How is your mind today? Have you kind of checked it at the door and you just take it all on blind faith? I admire blind faith. Don't get me wrong. But if you stay there, you will not be the the person, the, the sanctified person of God who loves the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? It is a holistic faith whereby we engage all of those things. Let me give you some application today. Let me give you some application on how you are to do this. Application. What am I going to do with this today? How am I going to engage the mind? And the good news is, Benji didn't have to come up with this. This is like, this is what the word teaches. The Bible is very, very clear. God has set this thing up in such a way that if you engage the faith as God has designed it, if you engage the church as God has designed it, early on, then you will be a Christian who has engaged the mind of Christ and you have developed a biblical worldview. Application for developing the mind of Christ. Write it down. Read or listen to the Word of God daily. Read or listen to the Word of God. What's this word right here? Daily. Okay? You can read it old school. You can use a, a, an, an app that comes from Life Church out in Oklahoma, the most popular biblical app ever. I highly recommend it, called YouVersion. YouVersion, Y-O-U, not new. YouVersion. And you can you get all these translations, you get all these reading plans, and it has a speaker feature, feature where you can log on with your phone, hit speaker, and while you're riding down the road, you can just listen. You can listen to the Word of God. Read or listen to the Word of God. What? Daily. Great job. Number two, attend church every Sunday to hear and apply the Word of God. This is why church is so important. This is why you get out of bed. This is why you come. You're praying as you drive to church. You're praying that, that God will use the worship and the word to speak to you. And you open your heart. You say, God, I'm open to you. Speak through whoever's teaching today. Speak to me. I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to engage. I'm not going to sit there like this and say, what you got for me, pastor? I'm going to lean in and really and truly Engage and hear and apply the word of God. Three, powerful, powerful, powerful. Memorize scripture. 
I don't know if you were discipled in this kind of way and taught this, but my student pastor, when I first became a Christian at the age of 18, drilled this into me. I still got a stack of index cards in my desk today that thick that I would write out verses of Scripture on index cards, and then I would learn them like I was studying for an exam at at school. And you learn scripture like that, you will be amazed at how often you'll be in a certain situation and the word of God will speak to you and give you exactly what you need. When you develop your mind this way, God starts to sanctify you and transform you because you have scripture, not just out there, you have scripture where? Inside here. So why not go old school? Go to, a, go to a, a, a local store, grocery store, drugstore, whatever, and buy a stack of index cards. And when you're reading the Bible and a verse just jumps off the page and grabs you, write it down. Memorize Scripture. So powerful. Here's the last thing. Join a life group. Join a life group. Life groups are just like church in a sense. Life groups is where we go. We engage a topic. It's about community, yes. It's about caring for one another, yes. But it's also about getting the mindset of Christ and studying the Word of God. Let me close with a story. His name was Dr. Wilder Penfield. Dr. Wilder Penfield, for those of you in the medical field, you probably know that name. Let me tell you about this guy. By the end of his career, as a pioneering neurosurgeon, Dr. Penfield had performed 1,132 brain surgeries on unique patients. 1,132. Many of them suffered from epileptic seizures, and Dr. Penfield wanted to know why. And so... Later in his career, he would have them on the table. He would be performing a brain surgery, and he would take the skull off of the brain, would remove it while the patient is remaining conscious during the surgery so that he could converse with his patients. During one of those open brain operations, Dr. Penfield made a fascinating discovery. He would actually use a mild electrical current to stimulate different parts of the cortex. Some of Dr. Penfield's patients experienced flashbacks right on the table. Vivid memories from past events. Events that they recalled in amazing detail. Events that they had not ever really recalled before. And what was most fascinating about it, events that went way back beyond what they could recall anything happening in their lives. For example, one patient recalled every note from a symphony she had heard at a concert many years before. Another patient recalls sitting in a train stop as a child and she gave a detailed description of each train car as it went by in her memory. Another patient recalled their childhood and a comb, a comb that she used growing up as a kid and she recounted the exact number of teeth in the comb. Beyond detailed recollection, the thing that struck Dr. Penfield the most was that these memories 
had all come from many things that they had forgotten and, as I said, predated stuff that they remembered at all. Dr. Penfield concluded, concluded that every person that had this experience, every sight, every sound, every experience, every conscious thought and subconscious dream, listen, is recorded on our internal hard drive, the cerebral cortex. I remember when I was in pharmacy school at the University of South Carolina studying biology and anatomy and organic chemistry, and I remember how fascinating this part of the human body is. This is a gift that God has given you. And he's given you a good one. How are you stewarding over that? Let me try to take a very complex process and let me put it in very simplified terms and we will be done here today. When you hear a song or see a picture or read a verse of scripture, an engram, if you will, is traced on the surface of your cerebral cortex. The encoding is also called a memory trace. It's how, it's how you walk down memory lane and recall basically anything that has ever happened in your life. It's, it's almost like a deluxe etch and sketch, if you will. Songs and pictures and words get traced and retraced. With each repetition... The engram, follow me here, the engram gets inscribed deeper and deeper and deeper, literally engraved on the surface of the cerebral cortex. As I've already said, the mind of Christ is the what, church? It's the word of God. Jesus is the embodiment of of the word of God. Amen? Now just stick with me. Just stick with me. He's the embodiment. The word became flesh. And did what? Made his dwelling among us. Now don't miss this. When you read the Bible. When you meditate or memorize the word of God. When you pray Scripture, or when you listen to the Bible being read, you are literally engraving Jesus on your brain. Come on. Neurologically speaking, you are recruiting new neuronal connections. You are rerouting old neuronal connections. And slowly but surely... You are downloading the very word of God, the very thought of God. And over time, over time, these downloads are upgrades as God develops in you the mind of Christ. And all of that is at your disposal in the word of God. May we be a people who engage the word of God. May we be a people who develop 
the mind of Christ. May we develop a biblical world view to the glory and the honor of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we love you today. And um, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you that you've instructed us on how to engage it. And God, I pray that, as I prayed in the beginning, that we would be a people who are set apart by the mindset of Christ within us. Father, I thank you for this church who always, always shows up ready to engage the word. God, I'm just so honored to know and serve and love a people such as this. Father, where we've grown lazy, where we've grown complacent, may we dust off the the minds today, Father God. May Romans 8, 5 through 8 remind us of how vitally important it is to study the Word of God. And as we do, Father God, would you nurture and develop within us the mindset of Christ. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.